church, let me encourage you uh, to give as the Lord leads you to our Annie Armstrong Easter offering emphasis where we come alongside other Southern Baptist churches and give for the sake of church planting and revitalization, evangelism and compassion ministries uh, across North America. Your generous giving uh, does make a difference. In fact, I went to college with uh, Dave Elif that was featured in that video, and he was a couple years older than me, and I remember even then he was discipling students in college, and so I know without a doubt he is doing that in Seattle, as are uh, scores of other uh, missionaries across North America. And so as you are faithful in giving to this offering, know that God is using your generosity uh, to grow His church. Uh, and for his his glory, our church goal was fifteen thousand dollars. We've received uh, about five thousand dollars already year to date. So let me encourage you to continue giving uh, over the next few weeks as the Lord leads you. Let me invite you to open up God's Word this morning to uh, the Book of Exodus. We'll be in Exodus once again today, uh, in chapter seventeen. Uh, we continue in Exodus, but we do so uh, under the umbrella of a new sermon series uh, titled Healthy Church. Certainly here at Meadowbrook, we we want to be uh, a healthy church, a church that honors the Lord and and what we do. As we look into Exodus, we're reading about uh, the history of the Israelites, uh, this people that God had promised a a land to and uh, numerous descendants to, descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, people that we know as the Israelites, the Hebrews, the Jews. And and the history of Israel, uh, to a great degree, is the history of us. Uh, the history of the church. And so in in their history, in this history that is part of God's story, that becomes our story as we become followers of Jesus, in this history we see some marks, we see some essentials of a healthy community of faith. And so over the next few weeks, our aim is to read the story, uh, to discern some of those marks, some of those essentials of a healthy church, and then apply them to to this church for the glory of God. And so I invite you to look at the story with me and seek the Lord to that end. And as you find your place in God's Word, as you find your place in Exodus 17, and you can find this text on page 58 of a few Bible, but as you find your place there, let me invite you to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's Holy Word. Exodus 17, I'll be reading verses 8 through 16. The Bible reads this way. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses uh, held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation 
to generation. Would you bow with me in prayer? And Father, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are with us. Father, we pray that your spirit's presence would be felt and known by us now as we have read your word, as we hear your word proclaimed. Lord, as we seek to respond to it in a way that glorifies the name of Jesus, lead us for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We may be seated. Well, what is a healthy church? If we were to have a roundtable discussion about what a healthy church looks like, I'm sure we'd come up with a number of characteristics and qualities this morning. In fact, uh, numerous books have been written on that very topic. And as I thought about that this week, I glanced up at my own uh, bookshelf and saw a number of books that fit in that category. What is a healthy church? Um, Vibrant church. Um, Church, why bother? In fact, there's a whole uh, branch of theology known as ecclesiology, which is the study of the doctrine of the church. And so we're not going to sort all of that out today. We're certainly not going to sort all of that out even over the next few weeks. But our task this morning is to notice a God-honoring posture here in Exodus 17 that I think is true of any healthy congregation. You see, a healthy church relies on God's power and celebrates His victories. A healthy church relies on God's power and celebrates his victories. I would dare say that a number of you, as we were reading this story, probably remember this story. If you grew up in church, this is a story that you don't easily forget because uh, you remember that in this particular story, as long as Moses is holding up his hands, as long as he's holding up uh, his staff, uh, victory is certain. The Israelites continue winning the battle, but it was a long battle that day. And so, as any human would, his hands grew tired, they grew weary. And as the staff began to fall, the Israelites began to lose. Defeat was certain. This is a pretty regular walking stick or staff, you might say. Nothing special about this staff, but certainly something was special about the staff that Moses carried that day. This was not just any staff. Verse 9 says it was the staff of God. It was God's staff. It's the same staff that Moses used in front of Pharaoh to swallow up the Egyptian snakes. It's the same staff that God told Moses to use to part the waters of the Red Sea. It's the same staff that Moses used in this chapter and earlier verses to strike the rock at Rephidim when there was no drinking water and pure, clean water poured forth from the rock for the parched people in the desert. See, the staff represents God's power with His people. And to use the staff was to say, uh, God is doing this. This is God's work. You see, apart from God's presence and His power, the people were toast. They they weren't going to win this battle. The Malachites... We're not generally a kind people. You might say they weren't known for southern hospitality. Their lineage can be traced to Esau, for Amalek was the grandson of Esau. And you likely remember Jacob and Esau from the book of, of Genesis and this feud that developed between these two brothers. This feud that continued on, now becoming an all-out war between their descendants, between two peoples, the Israelites and the Amalekites, and it would not soon go away. 
Scholars have said that the Amalekites were nomadic invaders who had domesticated the camel and were effective in using it in surprise attacks on people, slaughtering people and then taking over their land. We're not told why they attacked the Israelites here, but Moses would later reflect on this batter, battle, batter, battle recorded in Deuteronomy, making sure you're awake, Deuteronomy chapter 25. And he would say that these people, that the Amalekites had no fear of God. They didn't worship the Lord. Uh, and that they attacked Israel while she was, while she was weak, while she was down, specifically attacking all who were lagging behind, he says. So this was a surprise attack on the weak. Uh, perhaps suggesting an attack from behind on the women and children. We don't know, but the Israelites are left with no choice in this case but to defend themselves. So Moses, their leader, quickly makes a plan. Joshua, take your best men and go fight. I'll stand back here and watch. Like a good strategy, maybe a bit of a cop-out, but that would be what a leader would do. A leader would stand back and watch and see how this is unfolding. And in this case, seek the Lord. And trust him to give them a battle strategy that would honor his name and ultimately lead to victory. If you know the story, then you know that Joshua would become Moses' successor, leading the people into the promised land. And so as God's people journey toward this land, as they journey toward the promised land, the land of Canaan, they encounter enemies. They've already encountered one enemy, an enemy from within. They've already encountered grumbling and division in their own ranks over lack of food and water. But there God provided, and He provided again and again. And so now they encounter their first enemy from without. And once again, God provides. And it won't be the last time. This won't be the last time that Israel will face opposition. God's people will face attacks from the world, meaning we too, church, as God's people, will also face attacks from the world. We will face attacks from the world. In this particular case, though they probably didn't know it, the Amalekites were taking their marching orders from the devil. They opposed the Lord and his people. You might say they were soldiers of, of Satan supporting the enemy's efforts to ambush uh, God's plan of salvation, striving to prevent the fulfillment of God's promises. The devil knew that God had already rescued his people from slavery in Egypt and he wanted to do everything in his power, everything that he was able to do to stand in the way of their entrance to the promised land and God's continued unfolding plan of salvation. Friends, there is an enemy who opposes God and the people of God so much that he makes it his every aim to rob the Lord of his glory and to silence the song of the saved. So Christian, even though you've been saved, you can expect spiritual warfare. Expect spiritual warfare. Expect opposition. In fact, one theologian addresses the church as he reflects upon this passage and he says, we have been delivered from the Egypt of our sin. And now we are headed for the land of glory. He says our ultimate victory is certain because Jesus won the crucial battle when he died on the cross. Victory is is, is guaranteed because of what Jesus has done for us. However, the enemies of Christ have not yet surrendered. And so on our pilgrimage, we continue to be ambushed by Satan. And Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, the troubles that we see in the world are only skirmishes in the cosmic spiritual strife between God and Satan. See, as with Job, there is much we do not see. There's much we don't know. There's much going on behind the scenes that we are not privy to. We can expect spiritual warfare, for there is a devil who seeks to use whatever means available. Whatever he can get his hands on, crippling grief, chronic depression, sudden uh, sudden panic, uh, financial ruin, sexual temptation, abnormal cell growth, abuse, bullying, the list could go on and on and on. Whatever means available to encourage God's people to despair, to dishonor him, and to rob the Lord of his glory. Church, we will face attacks from the world, and we will only be victorious with God's help. We will only be victorious with God's help. Moses and the Israelites needed God's help, and so do we. And praise the Lord, He is a God who helps. It's a God who helps those who depend on Him. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Friend, are you in trouble today? Are you hurting? Are you lost? Are you lonely? Are you fearful? Are you sick? Are you afraid? Run to the one who helps, the one who is present to help always. Bible interpreters debate just what Moses was doing up on that hill. Obviously, he was holding the staff of God up in his hands, but what does that mean? I think it means that he was depending on God's power. A healthy church relies on God's power. And one of the ways that we can express our reliance on God's power is through prayer. So let's be a people who are constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Prayer is not specifically mentioned in our text for today, but I dare say that Moses was praying. He was standing with his arms raised up to God, a posture of prayer, appealing to God to fight for his people. He was interceding. He was asking God to show his power and to deliver his people. How many of you like to ride roller coasters? Show of hands. Less than half, but some of you that no doubt love a roller coaster. Roller coasters are quite fun. Now, how many of you like to to ride a roller coaster with your hands up in the air? Why? (laughs) I, I remember as a child, I remember going to the, the county fair and riding one of those big pirate ships, you know, with just the bar that comes across. And uh, believe it or not, uh, as a junior high boy, I was, or maybe less, maybe elementary, I was, I was rather thin. And, and I remember, uh, you know, you're sort of dependent on how thin the person next to you is to get that bar as tight as you can go. And I, as we began riding that thing up, um, I, I was not raising my hands. But why, why do we raise our hands? So we... Ride roller coasters, those that enjoy that. It's sort of like raising hands in a posture of prayer saying, this is out of my control and I'm okay with it. 
You see, because victory over the enemies of the faith only comes with God's help, we must pray. And the power of prayer is not in the words that we say, it's not in the words that we pray, but in the God to whom we pray. And so we must be a people who pray. Do you pray? This little book called A Call to Prayer, J.C. Ryle, who was a prolific preacher and author in 19th century England, wrote this. He says, it's one thing to say your prayers and another to pray. Do you pray? Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. He says, pray also for me that I, uh, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So church, be constant in prayer. As individuals, as family units, in your church family. You see, just as Satan desires to destroy your family, he also desires to destroy your church family. And if we are not diligent in asking the Lord to defend us as a family of faith, then we will grumble against one another. And our leaders, our pastors will fail us and our witness will suffer, preventing the loss from hearing the gospel. So let's be a people who pray. And pray for one another. Pray for the church, this church and others. Let's be a people who pray, constant in prayer and standing firm in the faith. Stand firm in faith. You see, Moses prayed while Joshua fought. As Moses prayed, trusting in his Lord, so Joshua gave it all on the battlefield, trusting in his Lord. And once again, our battle church is not against flesh and blood, but it's against one who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And Peter says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. Paul says it this way. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand He says, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist with a breastplate of righteousness in place. Of course, these are metaphors for the spiritual resources that God gives to us in Jesus Christ. We will only be victorious with God's help. So be constant in prayer. Stand firm in faith. And then when God helps you stand firm in the faith, remember his victories and tell his story. We must remember God's victories and tell his story. Ever heard somebody talk about the good old days in in high school and perhaps success on the basketball court or the football field, sort of tooting their own horn? You can almost picture that here. God saying to Moses, write this down and be sure that Joshua, your commander who is successful on the battlefield, be sure that he hears about this. Love how this story concludes. Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. God says, don't forget it. 
God is saying, don't forget what I did for you here against the Amalekites. And don't let Joshua forget that this people will continue to oppose my people. But I'll take care of it. Depend on me. Trust me. Write this story down and pass it on. Remember. When Moses goes on and he builds an altar, not for atonement, but for thanksgiving. Acknowledging the Lord's provision. Acknowledging the Lord's protection. Acknowledging that God brought the victory. Memorializing what God had done. The altar was an expression of worship. Praising God for who He is and what He had done for His redeemed. This was a celebration. Another worship gathering. See, a healthy church relies on God's power and celebrates His victories. Moses led the people and celebrating God's victory. And he named the altar, the Lord is my banner. Yahweh Nisi. So in the ancient world, armies often carried banners with them into battle. Maybe not all that different than the little banners we see on car windows in the fall around here, right? A rallying cry. But likewise, in that day... A banner would be carried by an army, perhaps a piece of wood or metal or cloth that was raised up on a pole like a flag. It reminded them of their identity. It gave them courage and hope, serving as a rallying point for troops before battle. One author writes, when Moses held up the staff of God in the battle with the Amalekites, he was holding it like a banner, appealing to God's power. He says, by building an altar and naming it Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner, he created a memorial of God's protection and his power so that faith would pass on, so that others would see that memorial and they would ask questions and they would hear about God's deliverance so that faith in God would grow from age to to age. You see, when we gather in this place, the cross is a banner. Reminding us of what Jesus has done on our behalf. The table, you might say, is a banner, so to speak. Reminding us that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the true bread from heaven. For whom we have eternal life. We need reminders of who God is and what He has done for us. And in His Word... He gives us a bunch of reminders. So let's be people who consume His Word. Brothers and sisters in the faith, let's be people who take in the story, who read the story, who learn it, who believe it, who submit to it, who declare it, who teach it, who trust it. Let's consume His Word so that we might know and remember God's victories and tell of His story. And as you read it, as you live by it, you strive to walk according to it through this wilderness toward the heavenly promised land. Keep your eyes fixated on Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Son of God and Savior of the world. Let's be a people who gaze upon God's Son. Gaze upon His Son. Gaze upon our Savior. Gaze upon Jesus. You see, the Lord was Moses' banner, His, His sign of courage. His reminder of His identity and His emblem of hope. And friend, He is our banner too. The Lord is our banner. But you see, the Lord is our banner in a way that not even Moses knew yet. 
a way that was yet to be revealed on a future day, a day of which Isaiah would prophesy, saying, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. It said the nations will rally to him and his resting place will be, will be glorious. The root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. One to whom the nations will rally. As the root of Jesse is the son of David, the, the promised son of, of David who was the son of Jesse and he is also the son of the Most High God. He is Jesus, our Messiah. Friends, he is the banner for all God's people who look to him for salvation and hope. The one to whom people rally from every nation, tribe, people, and language. The one who grants us victory over sin and Satan. Is this Lord Jesus your banner? Is he your banner? Where do you look for courage in the midst of despair? Friend, look to Jesus. Gaze upon God's Son. Set your eyes and your mind on the gospel of grace and the giver of life. For this very one, Jesus stood in our place to give us his place. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He gave his life on the cross for our sins so that we could live forever with him. Like Moses with the Israelites, Jesus is our mediator. And like Moses with the Israelites, Jesus is now our intercessor. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Friend, did you know that Jesus is interceding for you before the Father, even now? And unlike Moses, Jesus never grows tired, he never grows weary, and his constant prayers for you and for me. He is our banner. And through his work, we have hope. Do you know that hope? The Lord is our banner. So let's turn to him. As we transition to a time of response, I want to invite you to do just that, to spend some time with the Lord in prayer. In fact, I want to invite you to do that even perhaps with somebody or a few folks right around you as you're led to spend some time acknowledging the victory that God has given you and me through His Son, Jesus Christ. The the certain victory that God has given His church through Jesus who has conquered sin, Satan, death for us. To acknowledge His victories and to pray that God would continue leading and guiding and protecting and delivering His people. Let's pray that He would do so here at Meadowbrook. Now, the gospel-centered churches in the city and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And so if you're comfortable to that end, let me invite you to gather up with someone around you and voice a prayer or perhaps pray silently. And if you'd rather pray by yourself where you are, that's understandable too. But may all of us spend a couple moments in prayer and then we'll transition into a, a hymn of response. Let's bow together to that end.